Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Peter Tannis. He is the president of the Perk Links Investment Advisory uh, based in Washington, D.C. He is also the author of a new book called Debt, Deficits, and the Demise of the American Economy. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Peter. Thanks. A great pleasure to be with you, Jordan. Let's start with your background a little bit and uh, what you're you're doing with your investment advisory firm. Uh, Our firm, which I founded, is uh, 20 years old. We are in the investment consulting business. It's an area of the business that very few people know about and used mostly by institutions and wealthy individuals and families. Uh, We get hired to do the asset allocation, where the money goes, and then we also get hired to find the best money managers in each area that they want to invest in, and then we monitor the money managers to make sure that they're earning their fees and doing what they're supposed to do. And tell us a little bit about your background in in leading up to creating this firm. Well, I've been... uh, I've been in the business, uh, dare I say, for well over 40 years. Uh, I started my career at Smith Barney and spent over 15 years there and uh, ran the Paris office and ran the international offices for Smith Barney. This is going back a few decades. Uh, after spending some time in New York and Paris and always being involved with investments, I decided that the only true service that you can provide to investors is, in fact, consulting because most of the people in the investment build business um, are essentially selling products, and uh, they're selling products that their firm produces, And as such, that might be good for them, but it's not necessarily good for investors. It's very hard to make money in the markets. So if you're limited to only the products of one firm, uh, you make it that much harder. So in our business, we look all over the world for the best people in their respective areas of expertise, and we hire those people on behalf of our clients. Okay. Uh, tell us what your website is if people want to find out more about your firm. It is uh, www.leperklinks, that's L-E-P-E-R-C-Q-L-Y-N-X, uh, .com. Uh, I should point out that uh, in firms like ours, the minimums are quite high. Uh, our minimum is $2 million. Okay, very good. Uh, Now, you recently came out with this new book uh, called Debt, Deficits, and the Demise of the American Economy. 
Uh, before we get into the details of it, why did you think it was important to put out this book now? Because we saw a trend, and I, I wrote it with Jeff Cox, who's with CNBC, and I saw a trend that was in the making that was leading us down to a perilous road of potential financial ruin unless it was stopped. Uh, the timing of the book was really very good, considering what's going on today. The uh, path on which we are going is unsustainable. The debt will potentially ruin us if we don't bring it to an end. Investors will lose confidence in our fiscal management. And uh, I believe that interest rates are going to rise not only a little, but a lot, and we can go into detail, since this is a fairly long interview, we can go into as much details where I can support that contention. Indeed, we will. Um, let's just for the moment concentrate on what's happening lately. Uh, we've had kind of this incredible drama going on in Washington. Are we going to default on national debt? Are we going to raise the debt ceiling? Are we not? There's a deal. There's not a deal. There is a deal. <laughs> yeah. what, what is your, your view about all of the goings-on in Washington the last few weeks. Well, I'm in Washington, so we're part of the inside-the-beltway crowd. But let me just say this, and, and um, it may justifiably sound like wishful thinking. I can't perceive that there will be a default on the U.S. debt if for no other reason than that it is unthinkable. It is so catastrophic that I have to believe that the people we elected to Congress will see the light of day and not do anything as insanely stupid as to allow the United States to default on its debt, because the consequences are unimaginable. We came pretty close, though, right? We can come close. Coming close doesn't count. As long as we don't, and of course, there's still some votes going on now, as you know. Yeah. Uh, as long as at the end of the day, and that expression could not have more meaning than it does today, at the end of today, we have uh, essentially passed the bill that will relieve us, uh, sorry, that will raise the debt ceiling and therefore allow us to pay the obligations that we have uh, that will at least cross the current barrier, and we can start focusing on other problems which are just as severe. Why don't you describe what you think would happen if we did not raise the debt ceiling and we did not pay the interest on the debt and, in effect, defaulted on our national debt? What would be some of the implications of that? It's, it's painful to imagine, but let's try. Uh, first of all, remember that it has never happened before. So obviously this is speculative, but I think I'm in good, real good company when I tell you what I think would happen. First of all, set the stage by, uh, by all appreciating the fact that the United States is the most powerful country economically in the world. The United States is also the most trusted company in the world. Our debt is the benchmark for stability and reliability, the benchmark against which all others are judged. Our debt is, has always been considered as riskless because the United States can be counted on to always pay back its debts. If 
we defaulted, even for a day or two, the first effect would be that everyone who buys our debt securities would immediately demand higher interest rates as compensation for the risk that we could do something so insanely stupid as to default. So if you want to, the good news is we'd still be able to sell our debt because we're still the United States. The bad news is we would be selling it at much higher rates. The higher rates would sink our economy into a worse hole than we are in now. Uh, all rates would go up. Mortgage rates would go up, uh, putting even more pressure on a faltering housing industry. Uh, interest rates would go up, making it more difficult for uh, companies to borrow and making it more difficult for an economic recovery. Uh, gold would go up in price, and by the way, it's setting new highs every day. We can talk about that because we certainly talk about that in the book. Uh, and we face the potential uh, consequence of some people, uh, a lot of people withdrawing money from banks, potentially having a run on banks not only in this country uh, but in Europe exacerbating the crisis which we haven't talked about in a week or so in Europe with Greece and some of the other problem countries and we could go on and on but I think it is pretty obvious and 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 pretty easy to imagine a really really disastrous scenario if we default do you think that based on the the deal that's uh, going to be voted on today that S&P and Moody's will keep our credit rating at AAA, or do you think they'll downgrade them? I mean, they talked about a $4 trillion savings, and the, the deal is basically $2.4 trillion. So do you think if we haven't met their criteria, they'll downgrade us? They may, but I may surprise you here, Jordan. I think they may downgrade our credit rating, and I don't think it matters at all. Uh, the United States is still the United States. Uh, the United States, if as long as we don't default on our debt, People know that we will pay our debts. They know that we have the most trusted institutions in the world. So whether the United States is considered a triple-A or a double-A, the people who buy our bonds know that they're going to get repaid. And uh, it will likely notch interest rates a bit higher, but I think that's going to happen inevitably in any event. Uh, but I don't think the consequence of a downgrade of U.S. debt is going to be as severe as some people think it will be. If you were the right person at S&P making that decision, would you downgrade the U.S. debt today? I wouldn't for the simple reason that I don't think it, it matters. I, I, you know, I, I, I think it's sort of silly. So I, I wouldn't do it uh, because uh, you might have egg on your face. You downgrade the debt from AAA to AA, and you sit and wait for something to happen, and nothing happens. Why? Because we're still the United States of America. Okay. Now, your first chapter in your book is called It's the Deficit, Stupid. Give yes. me a sense of the, uh, the size of the deficit and the, the dimensions of the problem, because a lot of people – just hear these trillions of numbers. Sure, and it's, just, sure. it's, it's overwhelming for them. Kind of give me a sense of the okay. size of the problem. First of all, try to understand that the concept of a trillion is something most of us cannot even come close to imagining. All right? Uh, 
Google $1 trillion, put that into a Google search, one of the things you'll find is a very clever pictorial uh, uh, series of slides showing what a trillion dollars looks like starting with a hundred dollar bill. Uh, I urge people to look at that and you'll get a sense of the dimension. Total federal debt is $14.3 trillion. Our annual deficit is over $1 trillion this year and will likely be over a trillion dollars next year. At the rate we are going, and assuming a little bit more inflation than we have, by 2015, and, and I'll put this in perspective, uh, by 2015, interest on the debt, interest only, will be a trillion dollars a year. A trillion dollars a year is 100% of what our country collects in personal income taxes. So imagine if every American who writes a check for his or her personal income taxes writes that check knowing that all of it went to pay the interest on the debt to the people who owned U.S. bonds, principally China and Japan and Great Britain and, of course, Americans as well. But that's all it did. It is catastrophic. All right, we're going to take a break, actually, Peter. Uh, my guest uh, during the Money Answer Show today is Peter Tannis. He is the author of a new book called Debt, Deficits, and the Demise of the American Economy. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. If you lead a team of any kind, you need to listen to this show. Tune in to Leading with Emotional Intelligence, hosted by Esther Orioli. Esther provides you with the tools and techniques you need to harness the power of EQ to stop setting goals and start changing behaviors in your organization. Get the latest concepts in EQ from a top-of-the-house perspective and have your questions answered on air. Leading with Emotional Intelligence is broadcast live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter L. Mosca provides those of you eager to invest well in real estate with the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus is to help you maximize your real estate investment dollars. Listen live to the brightest minds in investment real estate every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter L. Mosca, where America learns to invest. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Peter Tannis. Uh, he is the president of the Perk Links Investment Advisory and also the author of a new book called Debt, Deficits, and the Demise of the American Economy. Welcome back to the show, Peter. Thank you, Jordan. We were getting a sense of the size of the deficit. So you're saying uh, in basically four years or so, uh, the interest alone would be absorbing most of the tax revenues. So give us a sense of the growth of the deficit and the debt that we've been experiencing and, and what the current trajectories are for that. Well, the, the debt, of needless to say, is at an all-time high, and the trajectory as of now is for higher debt. The only way we can bring the debt down is by having a government surplus. Uh, that is not likely to happen again, if ever. So the question is, to slow the growth, What you have to do is two things, and this is what becomes the heated political argument here in Washington. You have to raise revenues, and you have to reduce expenses. That's the polite way to put it. The way some people see it is you have to raise taxes, and you have to cut my favorite programs. Well, yes, that's what you have to do. Uh, But there are clever intelligent ways to do this that should satisfy any reasonable politician on the right or the left. And we talk about that in our book. I mean, in the book, we have chapters on some of the things we can do as a nation that are not pie-in-the-sky ideas, but they're ideas that most reasonable people on both sides of the aisle could agree to. Give us some of those. All right. For example, to raise revenues, Republicans, as you know, are, are against new taxes. And one of the reasons Republicans don't like new taxes is that there is a risk that it stifles growth. Taxes are about incentives. You have to have incentives for people to take risk, start businesses, and hire people. So they don't want taxes raised that would stifle incentives. What we need to do in this country, and I tend to agree with that, by the way, what we need to do in this country is to put on a consumption tax. We, are, we, we, we do very little in the way of consumption tax. The best one being a value-added tax like they have all over Europe. Now, The value-added tax is a tax that is added at different stages of production, and it's not an add-on at the cash register. Let me give you an example. Let's say you you manufacture tires, and you get the ingredients that are used to manufacture tires. When the ingredients you assemble become a tire, you tax the tire as a tire. When the tire goes on a car... The car is taxed as a car, so there's another tax, okay? And you raise, since it's on everything that is produced, you raise a huge amount of taxes in this manner, and you don't, the individual taxpayer doesn't feel it directly, but the individual taxpayer feels it 
in the price that they ultimately pay because obviously it gets added to the price. So the, pro, the, the negative to this is that prices will rise, and also it is regressive, in the, with, meaning that it hurts poor people more than it hurts rich people. So you solve that problem by giving a tax credit to people under a, to families under a certain level of annual income. This isn't that complicated, or it shouldn't be that complicated, because a value-added tax would raise an enormous amount of revenue, and you can solve the biggest problem of its being regressive by simply offering a tax credit to those who need it. I mean, 50% of the population pays no taxes. Correct. They're already getting maybe the earned income credit, so they would get back more in the earned income credit. Is that the way it would work? No, I mean, well, what, what, uh, yeah, you, uh, uh, the ones, absolutely, they would get, they would get some, there would be some mechanism to help the people who either pay very little taxes or no taxes to, uh, to basically reduce the effect on them of the higher prices that they would have to pay because it affects them the most. Another thing you recommend is extending the retirement age and means testing. Yeah, uh, this is example, on. Yeah, so- I mean, let's take a look at this. All right, uh, Social Security was devised in the 1930s, and the idea was you got social, you retired at 65, and you died at 68. Well, people don't die at 68 anymore, and the Social Security system has to adjust to the new realities that people live and work a lot longer. So some changes in Social and these are already uh, uh, being done. You know, uh, I think Social Security for younger people now doesn't start till 68. It may get raised gradually to a higher level. This will help. Means testing is will conf- will will get some opposition because you know if I if I pay into the system I may well take the position that you know I paid into it I want to get something out of it but uh, the reality is that at some point means testing meaning look if you have a lot of assets and you know the twelve hundred dollars in social security you get uh... doesn't mean a lot to you maybe we won't cut it completely but we might give you less than we're going to give somebody else who depends largely on that for their subsistence another thing you're recommending is to eliminate the minimum wage how would that help the way it helps is that the the minimum wage and this is also very controversial keeps an awful lot of people from working who would be offered jobs mostly teenagers and uh people with uh uh low skills and low education that could work if the employers could afford to pay them less than the uh, the, the the minimum wage, and allow and at least give them some degree of income, which they're not going to get because the employer can't afford to pay them, you know, nine or ten dollars an hour, but could afford to pay them five or six. Um, uh, there have been a number of studies on this. Uh, I'm not an expert in this area, but there have been a number of studies on this, which tend to support that. Uh, some of the people at the lower end of the economic rung uh, would benefit from having a, um, uh, a either a lower or no minimum wage. 
And then you say you should raise the bar for education. How would that help? Say again? You said you would raise the bar for education. How would that help? Uh, I, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure what we meant by that, and I think Jeff wrote that chapter. To be honest, but oh, okay. uh, what uh, 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 I, I could answer re- that in a broader context. You think to revamp the nation's education system would help us become more productive? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, we're we're something like 20th or 25th in the world in in uh, uh, in, in in education using whatever tests they use to determine uh, skill sets. You know, where in Asia they are uh, much higher, and in many of the European countries they are much higher. So, and, and this also gets very, very controversial in terms of charter schools and 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 in in terms of vouchers, in terms of standardized tests for teachers, etc. Uh, and something that uh, I am ill-equipped uh, to get into, but clearly an area where something has to be done. One people, one approach people are saying that we should take is to have a balanced budget amendment. That's very been been part of the negotiations. Uh, would that help uh, control spending? No, it wouldn't help at all. And and the the uh, uh, the obvious obvious example of why it wouldn't help is that almost every single state has a balanced budget amendment, and almost every single state runs a deficit every year. So go figure. How is it going to help? Well, I mean, they don't actually run deficits. They may issue a lot of bonds, but well, they that, do balance no, no, the books. No, they're other. running deficits because they're financing their deficit by issuing bonds and increasing their debt, which is what we do at the national level. Okay, unfortunately, the st- at the national level we do that. And, of course, at the national level we have the advantage of the printing press. California can't print money. Right. So they keep issuing municipal. They keep issuing municipal bonds, and California has a you know over a ten billion dollar deficit, and they have a balanced budget amendment. Amendment. A lot of good it did. So you know we can go through the motions. It's not going to help, but you know it it makes some people happy. The other, uh, another point too, Jordan, that uh, I don't think you mentioned, is um, uh, the, uh, the, that we the, that we need to look at, of course, is the controversial, you know, the fact that we have to reduce Medicare spending. Uh, one another another issue that is another hot button is uh, the mortgage deduction, you know. The mortgage deduction is a big deal in terms of revenue, and it tends to help the people who need it the least. Right. Uh, why should uh, somebody with uh, you know a million dollar house uh, at the beach, uh, and it's a second home no less, get get to deduct the interest on that debt? So how would you override the home builders and the realtors and? Remodelers and all the people who are benefiting from the mortgage interest deduction. Well, you know, you 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 got you've 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 got to take a courageous decision. Now, having said that, this year is probably not a good year to bring this up, since we have housing in the doldrums. But looking longer term, I think uh, the mortgage deduction is a dead duck. It will not survive. Do you think as part of the negotiations? I mean. The deal that's, that's being voted on now 
is basically punting it to this committee that's supposed to figure out these right. massive hundreds of billions of dollars, trillions of dollars of cuts. And part of the proposal is to cut you know, corporate or, and individual tax rates in exchange for deductions. So you think the mortgage interest deduction is going to be one of the ones that they will uh, take away? It should. Uh, and again, not this year, but a year or two down the road. It should, it should be taken away because it benefits the people who need it the least. Uh, right. the, the poor uh, don't own homes, or if they own a home, the mortgage deduction isn't helping them a whole lot because they don't have a lot of income. Yeah. Uh, or, or they don't itemize. Obviously, you have to itemize to get the mortgage deduction. So um, uh, it, 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 it will get a lot of scrutiny, and the more scrutiny it gets, I suspect that we'll find that it's something we can live without. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about the European situation and how you should invest based on all of Peter's advice. Uh, my guest on this uh, show is uh, Peter Tannis. Uh, he is the uh, author of a new book called Debt, Deficits, and the Demise of the American Economy. We'll be back after this. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. When you are trying to establish your financial plan, there are all sorts of variables that you'll need to take into consideration, from the ever-changing economy and markets to investment risk and your own financial needs. How do you manage all of it to find a plan that will work for you? Tune in to The Insightful Investor with Bob Pugh. We'll help you iron it all out to help you stick to a financial plan with the knowledge that you need. The Insightful Investor is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman. Uh, my guest this hour is Peter Tannis. Uh, he is the author of a new book called Debt, Deficits, and the Demise of the American Economy. Welcome back to the show, Peter. Thank you, Jordan. 
we want to learn now what's happening in Europe and how that might apply to our situation. So why don't you give us a brief update on what's been happening, particularly with the weaker countries of Europe, um, and what things you, you might learn, you know, since we're in a similar situation, what we can learn from that. Okay, well, let, let, let me start with a little bit of uh, uh, recent history in Europe. Um, as, most, uh, as most of your listeners are aware, uh, 17 countries in Europe share a common currency called the euro. Uh, the euro was uh, established actually uh, back in 1999, but it actually became in use in 2002 when um, uh, most of the countries, there are 17 now, there were fewer then, began to use the common currency uh, in an economic union called the European Union. And all was very rosy sunshine for a number of years because they were years of prosperity. But here's what happened. Given the fact that the euro was a strong currency, you know, you had Germany in it for starters, and Germany is the engine of growth in, in Europe. What happened was that the countries that were marginal, like Greece and Portugal, were able to borrow with uh, great ease for a lot of things that uh, they probably would never have been able to afford if they were using the drachma, because nobody would have lent them money in drachmas. So they went on a borrowing bench, and now I'm focusing on Greece, although it applies to Ireland's case is slightly different. Uh, Portugal's the same. Spain also has uh, is is involved here, and started borrowing an awful lot of money for social programs. Uh, uh, many of these are now legion. Uh, the you know the fact that there were some some professions in Greece retired at the age of 52 with full salaries. Others got uh, month bonuses and salaries uh, on every major holiday, Easter, Christmas, New Year's. And um, then we had the problems of 2008 and 2009, and the world's economy was turned upside down. Now, all of a sudden, Greece's debt hit 150% of GDP, which is the highest of any major country. And Greece was in danger of no longer being able to pay its debts. Now, what would happen normally with a, had there not been a euro? The way around this problem is to do what Argentina used to do. What you do is you wake up one morning and devalue your currency by 50%. So now... Your debt, at least in dollar terms, is 50% less than it was yesterday. And, oh, by the way, if you have some of those bonds, sorry, they are now worth 50 cents on the dollar because we just devalued our currency. You devalue it, you wipe out your debt, and you start all over again. But when you have a currency that is shared by 16 other countries, you can't devalue. So... Greece, this is how the Greek problem started, and the European Union was faced with a major, major dilemma. If we keep bailing them out, our citizens are going to say, wait a minute, why are we bailing out these people who spent well beyond their means when we didn't? 
it's our tax money that you're using to bail these people out, and that's not making anybody very happy. So Greece, so, but, but at the same time, if we don't bail them out and they default, what does that do to the European Union? Who's going to pick up the pieces? So here we had the crisis that we talked about every day until recently when we had our own debt ceiling crisis. So you say there are four scenarios for how Europe can go. The first scenario is to maintain the euro as it is and allow some countries to default. So how would that work since their currencies are still part of the euro? Uh, They could default. They, uh, it wouldn't necessarily impugn the currency. It would certainly impugn the union. And in any event, the leaders of the European Union do not want that to happen. I think because it would obviously be a violation of the terms of being part of the euro. So if Greece, to use the most obvious example, defaulted, uh, it essentially would be buying itself a ticket out of the euro. And the concern, they, this just came up, they didn't want them to do that because most of the debt is held by German and French and other oh, strong absolutely. banks. German and French bank hold the majority of it. You could have, you could precipitate a major financial banking crisis uh as uh as uh, and and in fact they they had a recent test of the european banks but they conveniently left out uh what would happen in the event of a greek default which is really the only thing anybody's worried about so that's so, pretty unlikely you're saying to to allow countries to default because it hurts the banks that's a pretty unlikely option you're saying it's an unlikely option but a greek Default, uh, no, uh, uh, a, a, a managed Greek default leaving the euro system is a likely scenario within a couple of years. Your scenario number two is to continue to bail out the countries in trouble, which is what's been happening. Right. Can they just keep doing that indefinitely? No, well, that's the point. They can't because then they have political problems. Can't happen. Uh, yes, you can do it as a temporary measure, but l- l- look what's happening. L- let's let's l- let's look at the positive, Jordan, for a minute. What's the only way Greece can get out of this problem? The only way you can get out of the problem is by growing its way out of the problem, so that it create you know it's selling off assets, cutting expenses, and growing its way out. Uh, which would allow it to pay down the debt and continue to grow while managing its expenses. And that is almost impossible. Why is it almost impossible? Well, the burden of the debt and the burden of the measures that are required by the EU as lenders uh, are so draconian that Greece can't grow while it's doing all these cuts. Indeed, last year they had negative growth, and this year they will have negative growth. So growing their way out of this problem does not appear very likely. The other, what, what other scenarios uh, are there? Selling off assets, okay, which they are doing. They're going to sell off the lottery. They're going to sell off some of the utilities. They may even sell off some islands. 
I guess you could imagine this does not make the citizens of Greece particularly happy. Okay? So the austerity measures that are being imposed are a band-aid, but it is very difficult for any reasonable person to see how this gets cured. And then finally, there's another issue that is a major problem, and that is that at some point, these measures imposed by the EU to save Greece from default become so severe that you have civil unrest. You can't predict this, but you better be ready for it. They've already had plenty of civil unrest, even (laughs) so far. And then you you also say that creating a two-tier eurozone is another possibility. What is the likelihood of that? None. Uh, you know, a, a two-tier, the, the, the idea behind the two tiers would be you'd have a strong euro for the northern countries and a weak euro for the southern countries. Uh, I, it's hard to, I, the only reason we put it in the book is because some people have suggested that, but I doubt very seriously that there's, that, that has no legs at all. And then the final scenario is to shrink the eurozone, which is what you think is most likely. So. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? They'll kick these countries out, and uh, what will that do to the holders of all their debt? And uh, you know, h- how will that all work? The, it's complicated. They would have to work it out. But for the survival of the euro, it would have to be restricted to countries that can adhere to the conditions of the euro and have the fiscal, uh, the fiscal and economic discipline to tax and spend in a way that guarantees that they adhere to the conditions for being part of this common currency. Greece hasn't, probably never will, and the debt issue that you raise is significant. They would have to work something out so that the banks, essentially as part of this package, the way it would work is that the governments of France and Germany would have to rescue their own banks as a condition. By printing money, basically, right? Say again? By printing money. Yeah, we we know a lot about that in this country. We'll talk about that in a minute if you want. But essentially by printing money or making guarantees, the easy way is to simply guarantee so that people don't start yanking their money out of the bank. You, 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 You make guarantees and you shore up the capital of the banks. Uh, so that uh, a massive Greek, uh, a Greek default doesn't injure the banks, either their reputation or their capital structure. So, but the governments can do this. Yeah. So what what are we to learn from this? I mean, we're not in exactly the same situation, but we've built up a lot of debt here. Are there things we can learn from what's been going on in Europe about how to handle this better? Let me, no, but let, let me just talk about the U.S. for a second in terms of the debate that is going on here in the, among the economic crowd, okay? On the far left, represented by Paul Krugman, Nobel Prize winning economist and uh, columnist for the New York Times, okay? Who maintains that we need more deficit spending and we and who maintains that what we need to do is 
Uh, we don't have to worry about inflation. We should keep deficit spending to get the economy going. Okay? Yeah. On the, le- on the right, you have the meet Milton Friedman advocates who say we have to cut spending and stop printing money because Milton Friedman, also a Nobel Prize winner's most famous saying was, inflation is forever and at all times a monetary phenomenon. Now, I will tell you that that's the side I personally agree with. And the Fed during QE1 and QE2 has added over $2 trillion to the monetary base of the country by printing money to buy bonds. And that $2 trillion is not going to disappear. Yeah. It has to go somewhere, and that's why I think inflation is coming. Okay, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back and talk about the investment implications of all this. Uh, my guest this hour is Peter Tennis. Uh, he is the author of Debt, Deficits, and the Demise of the American Economy. We'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Intense and intelligent. Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored, keeps you informed of the ideological, theological, and economic war being waged against the United States of America. Kevin Lehman's bold and brilliant style challenges your deepest held beliefs and provokes you to ask the hard questions, religious, scientific, political, or financial. Kevin is holding the establishment's feet to the fire with high-profile guests that include politicians, economists, theologians, and business titans. He'll demand truth over tradition and facts over fiction. Full of passion, wisdom, and wit, Kevin's transparent and no-nonsense style make Catch Kevin unscripted and uncensored, the go-to show for real insight on business, politics, social issues, and breaking news. It's time to get real, America. It's time to tackle the tough issues head on. Tune in to Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. If you are looking for creative ways to improve your bottom line, tune in to Make Your Move with Alan and Brian Bolio. Their proven track record of helping businesses enhance their profitability will provide the basis for a forum about actionable items based on a business person's perspective. The program will be business talk, but with an economic context, so you'll know how to stay ahead of the game. Make Your Move is broadcast live every Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman. My guest this hour is Peter Tannis. 
He is the author of a new book called Debt, Deficits, and the Demise of the American Economy. Welcome back to the show, Peter. Thank you, Jordan. Let's get to the investment implications now. And we have these huge debts. We're going to be adding more debts. You're worried about inflation coming. So how is an investor supposed to profit and survive this uh, very volatile environment? Well, first thing is that investors should take a good look at their investment portfolio and understand that the portfolio you devised 10 years ago or longer ago is probably no longer applicable to the age in which we live. For example, in the old days, you know, portfolios used to be 60-40, 60% stocks and then 40% bonds to essentially get some income and reduce the volatility of the stocks. That has all changed. First of all, stocks remain the riskiest thing most people own. Bonds yield nothing, and if you happen to hold a long-term bond, that is perhaps the riskiest thing you could possibly own because I think interest rates are going up. And today, most important, you should have a new asset allocation that you didn't think about years ago called inflation protection. Because I think inflation is coming. I think everybody, and by the way, we have a chapters on this in the book about how to protect yourself for, from the dangers we see ahead. One of the ways is inflation protection, which could include things that are as safe as tips, treasury bonds that are indexed for inflation, to gold and oil. And we have a chapter on gold and a chapter on oil in the book. Let's start with gold. Um, okay. Why should gold do well in this environment, and how would you invest in gold? Okay. Um, first, why should it do well in this environment? It should do well because it is perhaps the asset with the longest history of desirability of anything in the world. You know, you can go back and read the Bible, and they don't talk about Coca-Cola and IBM in the Bible, but they sure do talk about gold. Gold is a store of asset that go, pervades, goes through most of human history. Uh, notice that gold today is at, today is at an all-time high, yes. and, there's, and there's a reason for that. It's because people are starting to mistrust paper currency. Right yes, I can do it, yes. So these are, these are some of the reasons that you should own gold. Now, you should own gold two ways. One is to own the commodity. If you're particularly paranoid, you can actually own the physical gold and lock it up somewhere. Uh, or you can own the GLD ETF, which is a proxy for gold, and you basically buy it like a stock. But you shouldn't just buy the metal. You should also own gold mining stocks. And gold mining stocks can also be bought through an ETF. So that's a diversified way of playing it. And do you think uh, silver, platinum, palladium, other precious metals are similarly a good place to have your money? Less so, because they are much more volatile and they are much more influenced by other types of demand. In other words, uh, some of those commodities are used industrially, so you have other factors that influence them. Uh, so we prefer that investors in that in this in in terms of precious metals stick to gold. 
Okay, and then let's talk about oil. Uh, again, why would oil do well in this economy, in, in this economy uh, you, you described, and how would you play it? All right. Oil, again, is something that you don't buy for this month or this year. As a long-term investment, it is probably the single best investment you can buy for one simple reason. The demand for oil is going to far outstrip the available supply. Uh, we produce uh, in the world about 85 million barrels of oil a day, and we are consuming very close to that now. But the two most populous countries in the world, India and China, happen to be also the two fastest-growing countries in the world. And when people approach some degree of middle-class-type wealth, the first thing they want is a car. We're seeing this in China already. The demand is growing, and the, the pressure on oil will be enormous over the next decade. It, it, it is volatile. So, you know, you can't buy it and say, oh, my gosh, it went down. It may go down in the short term, but as a long-term investment, there is nothing better. Do not buy the ETF for oil. For technical reasons, it is not a good proxy for oil. Uh, what you should buy instead is a fund like the Vanguard Energy Fund, which is very large, very well managed, and has very low expenses. Very good. Well, in about a minute or so we have left, why don't you kind of sum up how you see the economic situation we're in and how people can invest to profit from it instead of being dragged down by it? All right. We have uh, an economic situation that is uh, uh, controlled by the huge debt we face. This problem is going to result in higher interest rates and higher inflation. What investors should do today is look at their portfolio, make sure they have sufficient assets in inflation protection. My two favorites are gold and oil. The, uh, you should also make sure you do not own long bond, long-term bonds. Uh, bonds should be two years or less in duration. Yes, they don't pay anything now, but at least when interest rates go up, you're not going to be locked into a very low interest rate should you have a five- or a ten-year bond. These are some of the things that you need to keep in mind for a potential inflationary period ahead and uh, possible weakness in stocks. In stocks, stick to stocks that have uh, very high-quality companies that have been around for a very long time and that pay dividends, so go for quality. And at the other extreme, have some allocation to emerging market stocks. These are the ones where the growth is. Finally, don't pick stocks yourself. You're not likely to do as well as somebody who spends full time at it by mutual funds. And again, give them your website and how they can find out more about your firm and the money management services you offer. Yeah, our website is leperklinks.com. That's L-E-P-E-R-C-Q-L-Y-N-X.com. Uh, we are consultants, though, and our minimums are quite high, so unfortunately we won't be for everybody. That's fine. Very good. Well, it's been fascinating. My guest this hour has been Peter Tannis. He is the author of Debt, Deficits, and the Demise of the American Economy. Clearly some major changes coming here, and he's given you some good ideas to help deal uh, with this kind of volatile situation. 
So thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Peter. It was my great pleasure. And by the way, some of the ideas I've talked about can be found in the book at a much cheaper price. Absolutely. Thanks so much. And we'll be back again with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.